Thank you for listening to the Nate Jackson Podcasting Network. What up, beautiful people? It's your boy, Nate Jackson, comedian extraordinaire, a.k.a. at Mr. Nate Jackson on the gram. You see that blue check. This is today's episode for the Super Funny Comedy Club's podcast, and it is indeed going down. If you listen closely in the background, you can hear my hit song, Cookie Monster. It got zero and two short on it, but this ain't about that. This episode is truly about the cookie, really, if you think about it, because this episode is dedicated to the women in comedy, right? Joy has a dope interview that she did with Takara uh takara williams it's fantastic i'll be playing that a little bit later we're also gonna see a snippet of her on nbc's bring the funny uh and or hear it depending on how you check out the podcast and um i'm excited i'm excited to dive into it i intend to share some stories iano is absent and joy is also not available right now but that does not mean that we aren't going to continue with the fun so with that said check this out okay you know what would be amazing if you left a five-star review on itunes go ahead just do it that's right people if you listen and you enjoy listening leave a review for the show five stars it matters the more five star reviews we get the higher we go up in all the charts and then we are much more highly listened to by the general public now you guys are already in you already rock with your boy you already know what it is but let's do that for the people who don't how about that now dig I just want to share some stories that I have personal stories that I have uh from my life uh with different women in comedy right um, as an ode or an uh, homage, paying homage to uh, to them. This is definitely a uh, masculine business. Probably 95% of the people working in comedy are dudes. It's so dude-oriented. It's like locker room talk at all times. And uh, these are the women who I have seen uh, navigate these waters uh, with the most ease. Now, uh, just to be completely transparent, I made a list really quick, and it was the first few people that popped into my head. I don't want to, this to be something where um, other ladies in comedy or other ladies in entertainment hear this and be like, "How are you gonna do that?" And you're not gonna say, "You're not gonna say my name. You're not gonna tell a story about about me." This isn't about feeling left out. This is about the inclusion that I do have for a couple of people that I wanted to share. One. One of the funniest comedians I've ever seen grab a microphone is Samore. Samore is an incredible comedian. To the tune that on our special cocktail menu here at the Super Funny Comedy Club, we have a Samore chandelier. And uh, it's, a, it's a delicious cocktail. But I wanted to make sure that there was something in the club that uh, shows some respect where respect is due. Now, uh, my relationship with Samore, I don't know why I'd call it a relationship, but it's, it's a working relationship. Uh, for a little while, unbeknownst to some people, I actually opened for some more. And uh, so I got to see her work ethic. And uh, when I say work with, like, there's people who go on the road as features and they're at every single show. They don't, they're on every single show. Well, some more has people that she's, she's, you know, she's loyal to. She's been working with them for some time. So you get rotated in and out. So when I did my road work with Samore, it was about two months to three months between each, each time that I worked with her. So uh, the first one was in Ontario, California, which was about 48 minutes from my house in North Hollywood, California, East. Um, and so uh, she was doing the Ontario, California, and uh, the opportunity presented itself for me to go feature uh, out there in Ontario. I went uh killed we had a great time she's destroyed i'm talking about smashed to the point that people don't remember anybody else that was on the show which a headliner is supposed to do 
first reason why Samoa is dope. Samoa didn't say, don't say this or don't talk like that or don't use certain language. She was like, go out there and kill. Do you. If I can't follow that, then what the hell am I doing headline? And I was like, wow, all right. So I go out and put my whole foot in it. I mean, they dying laughing. Within 10 minutes of her being on stage, I was just some decorations on a, on a cupcake. And that cupcake was the S'more Chandelier. Absolutely incredible. Now, here is another testament to uh, her greatness, right? You got to give people their roses while they're alive. A few months went by, and they gave me a call to come feature for her in Phoenix. And I did the same situation happen, except for I had probably added one new joke and tagged up the rest of my set and was like, all right, I got some new heat. I'm out to drop on or whatever. She's like, bet, do that. Kill. I do that. Some more goes out. Same experience as Ontario. Destroys. But dig this. An entirely different hour. Entirely different hour. And maybe one bit was similar to what she had in Ontario. That means she's doing her material. She's watching and or listening to it. She's changing it, growing it, altering it, tagging it up, punching it up, and and, and within two months, her set had completely evolved. There's a reason she has a special virtually every year. Complete and total monster. Just a beast. Next lady I want to give a shout out to is Coco Brown, the diva, the dime. Coco, I would say, as far as cadence, energy, and hard-hitting for hitting hard-hitting jokes, excuse me. I think personally it's safe to say Coco is the funniest uh the funniest female shit in the last 15 years. I have an experience with Coco. Um I was on at the Improv Comedy Club and Coco had just landed from gigs on the East Coast. She wasn't feeling well and she didn't want to perform. Uh and it was Monday night for D-Ray's uh evening. And um for for D-Ray's show. She said, I don't feel well. Uh I just do a quick little five minutes and then, you know, I was actually supposed to go before her on the lineup. So when she said she didn't feel well and all that, they're like, All right, well, we'll just have Nate close. I'm like, bet. Coco's like, I don't feel well, baby. I'm just going to go do my thing. I was already concerned. Like, nigga, Coco, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to just jump in and follow Coco Brown? Do y'all not see this lineup and know how funny she is? Spike was like, shut your ass up. Get out there and fight. Like, I ain't no, I ain't, I ain't no bitch, so come on in. When I tell you, Coco, while not feeling well, went up there and got three standing ovations during one set. I'm talking about one joke led up and hit and was huge. All the women, yes, man, yeah, jumping up and down in the crowd. Five minutes later, yeah, she didn't do five. Five minutes later, another joke, everybody's on their feet going nuts. Then she goes into the NFL bit and doing the, the penalty flags for the referees and, and, and applying that to the bedroom and love making. As soon as the... I think it's Monday night football music drops. Like the sound the DJ put on, man, this place went banana. I'm talking about somebody got out their seat and ran on the corner of the stage in a little circle and then sat back down, just pumping their fists in the air, dying. Coco destroyed. Thank you very much. Good night. D-Ray goes up, brings me up. I go, 
I go up and do my thing, but nigga. There's only a few times in my career where I was like, I'm going to say every joke as fast and as good and as high energy and as wonderful as I could possibly deliver it. And Coco demanded that from me based on her set, and she didn't even feel 100%. Coco Brown. Tyree Elaine. A lot of you guys may not be familiar with Tyree Elaine, but I, I want to let you know Tyree Elaine is a force to be reckoned with. Extremely strong writer, very smart, funny, uh, clever, which is different than funny because that's where she gets you to the funny in a way you didn't expect. Um, she has, I, I think I can safely say, the greatest set of knowledge of sitcoms in, the, in our era, in our lifetime. She knows... She knows moments in every sitcom by the by the characters that were in it, but who said what? She can re she can reenact most of them. So when I say she's a strong writer, she's not writing what she's seen. She's writing what she hasn't seen, which makes her extremely original. Um, she can recite entire episodes of Martin. It's insane. And I remember we did an audition for um NBC's last comic standing, I think it was. And we it was at the John Lovitz Comedy Club. Uh down in Southern California and I parked my car at the same time she parked her car and they were taking comics in uh, five at a time. So there was a line of comics. And so we just happened to line up and, and, and arrive at the same time. And while we were in the parking lot talking, I was like, uh, I'm like, are you ready for this? Or how you, how you feeling? You know, we were just sharing our thoughts on it. She was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, it's just an, you know, it's just an audition. They're going to like me or they're not going to like me. I'm like, bet. She's like, um, I can't get off my mind the day I just had today. I'm like, well, what happened? She tells me this quick little story about something that happened in her classroom because I believe at the time she was teaching. Cool. Same. That's like normal conversation for two people to, you know, to cover what they discussed that day. Go into the audition. I'm sitting there going over my set list, figuring out what jokes I want to say and how I want to say them and uh, trying to listen to see how the response is in the room. And there's only three people in there. It's like Wanda Sykes and two people I don't know. And they're sitting in the back of the room with binders open, face down, looking at the binders, not even looking up, engaging. Like it was, you're talking about a tough crowd. That's what the experience was when I went in there. But Tyree got called into the room two before me. And I could hear her showcasing. And in her showcase, she actually did the joke version of the story she had just told me about she had experienced that day in that classroom. And it really did happen in that order. It's not, some comics will just run bits by you. Like you think you're having a, uh, you know, a, a genuine conversation with somebody and what you're really having is them running their jokes by you. That's not even Tyree's style. Her style is to be that fearless, to walk into a life-changing opportunity and be like, fuck it, I'm gonna just do what happened today. I am what I am and I'm enough. It was an insane, it was just an insane moment for me to see as somebody who, you know, I prepare for things. I, I pride myself on the amount of research, development, and preparation I have in advance before I take the stage to say or whatever, unless I've completely abandoned it. And that's an entirely different, uh, you know, uh, thought process. But for her to go into the NBC audition and just basically just try some shit and it worked. That's worth mention alone. Tyria Lane. Ida Rodriguez. Very outspoken. I would even say a civil rights leader. Uh, she is uh, she has a whole series called I'll Say It For You. Very talented. 
And I remember, uh, I would say, I don't know, 10 to 12 years ago, I don't want to date myself and her, but uh, we used to all be starving artists trying to figure out where we're going to eat. Three people putting their money together to get a $5 foot long. And we would do that. And we would write jokes and we would, we would you know, just camaraderie. Uh, myself, Ida Rodriguez, and Clayton Thomas, we spent a lot of time together. Pretty much that was, that's, that was, that's what you wake up. Hey, man, what you doing today? Nothing. Pull up. Bet. Pull up. Bet. Three of us, we were like the musketeers. I did in that process was also writing on a movie. I think it's called Greatest Song or Sweetest Song. But she was working on a movie. And I was like, you know, man, we're just trying to put money together by a $5 foot long. And Ida was like, I'm going to do that and I'm going to write this movie. And I'm like, but I mean, movies have like writer writers. You know, she's like, uh, I'm not going to take that as disrespect. I'm just going to take it as you not knowing. But I am a writer writer. And I've already written this, 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 and this. And I'm like, all right, well. I guess type away. And she was typing on this old raggedy ass beat up laptop. It was three or four different shades of gray on the top. And I think the power cord only worked if you held it at a certain angle. But no matter where we were or what we were doing, Ida would have that damn laptop out pecking away. I'm talking about on a park bench. She was pecking away and all of that stuff, right? Fast forward a couple of years, um, beyond NBC's last comic standing, beyond Tiffany Haddish presents They Ready, beyond... All of the accomplishments that she has had. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal All-Stars Presents, uh, HBO Def Comedy Jam, uh, a, a lot. I'd have got that damn movie made. Greatest Song, I think it's what it's called. And in it is a whole bunch of actors that we already know and respect from other projects. And dig this. The park bench that she sat on one day when we were all working is the same damn bench on the front of the DVD cover. Ida Rodriguez, proof that faith without works is, 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 you know. She put her mind to it, her spirit to it, and, and then put her work to it and got that goddamn movie done. On top of being funny, on top of being an activist, on top of being a mother, a single mother. Angela Rye. Now, this is a little bit of a, a curveball because Angela Rye is not a comedian. But uh, she is a CNN correspondent. She is a uh, civil rights activist. She is active in the community. She is a social media content creator. She is, she's a beast. And she's gorgeous. And she's smart. And she's a, she, she incorporates music into her breakdowns on CNN regularly. So uh, she's a music fan. And so my story with her a couple of things we actually go way back i don't even know if she knows that we go way back like this but uh in the state of washington my father's a civil rights leader nat jackson and he and uh he and art and uh eddie uh his friends civil rights leaders back in the day they worked on the affirmative action in washington state together and eddie is eddie rye so angela rye's father and my father worked in a with the, there was Three or four of them working day in and day out for what I remember was maybe six months to a year and six months of their life, sacrificing all of their free time and working to change the world as we knew it for definitely for everyone, but more particularly for African-Americans in the state of Washington. 
So I met her when we were younger, but it was brief. Uh, so what my story is, that's just to give, to give you some backstory. But my story, the interaction with her, is from more recently. So we have a mutual friend, Dumi Marie, or Dumi Mariari. I don't know how to say his name. We just call it nigga Dumi, okay? Dumi had a album release party in Los Angeles, and Angela Rye is the godmother to Dumi's daughter. So she was the guest speaker at the album release party that I was the host of. And so we had interactions for, I don't know, maybe six hours. And the thing that made it interesting is because when you see her in social media, you see her on the news or you see her debunking something or you see her straight up filleting somebody who just doesn't understand what's really what. You don't see the softer, more personable Dope-ass side of Angela Rye. So to watch her interacting with Doomy's daughter and seeing her motherly instinct kick in and how attentive she was and how, how in tune with, with, the, with the daughter she was was a, just a beautiful thing to see. And then Doomy starts off his event. I go up and I host. I'm telling jokes. The crowd is cool. It's a, it's a good look. The vibe is right. And uh, and then I introduce her to come speak. And she goes from this nurturing person that she was for the goddaughter and and turns into just a, a, a wolf for the movement. And the speech she gave was prolific. It was it was powerful. It was it had calls to action in it. People came to see a record, an album release party. And after she finished speaking, Everybody under the roof was a certain percentage more woke than they were when they walked in. So Angela Rye for being a dope ass, well-rounded uh, sweetheart. Uh, Leslie Jones. Uh, a few years ago, I had a conversation with Leslie where she told me that things were slowing down and. She's like, how long am I supposed to stay at this shit? I've been funny than a motherfucker for years. There's no respect for black women in Hollywood. Nothing's changing. I mean, if there's, if there's, if there's a glass ceiling and I'm smashed up against it for a decade, at what point does it either break or they just move the ceiling? She was so frustrated, so frustrated that she was like, man, if this shit stays like this, I'm not, I'm quitting. Fuck it. Then the whole debacle with the Oscars happened, where it was Oscars so white, hashtag Oscars so white. I can't remember how long ago it was, but it made a wave go through Hollywood to find uh, African-Americans who were capable of doing the job. Mind you, a lot of African-Americans in Hollywood that are, uh, you know, entertainers, goddamn stars. There's a reason there's a ceiling, because if you fuck around and let us through, you got to deal with a whole new set of stars. So... It's about livelihood. And she was a part of the wave of the new opportunities that were granted. SNL, Saturday Night Live. They accepted submissions, they accepted uh, applications or you know, how they go about uh, receiving their writer's packets. And Leslie submitted. Leslie came in. She auditioned. She got casted. Uh, as a writer for SNL, uh, 
then a little bit after that, she got promoted to a, you know, on-screen talent for SNL. And that for the first time after doing comedy for damn near 30 years and killing ever since she was brand new in comedy was the first time a lot of people were exposed to her. Crazy. Crazy. But she's a beast. A monster. That quickly turned into her being cast in the, uh, the, uh, the sequel to Ghostbusters. She's a black Ghostbuster. And the all-lady Ghostbusters that they did, the revamp. And then she became, uh, she was the host of the BET Awards, which in the black community is a big-ass deal. And uh, that's where I had my encounter with her. I, can't, I, not, I mean, I've known Leslie for years, but the story I'm talking about is specifically to her preparation for hosting the BET Awards. She had her writers already set and they came from New York and they were all in L.A. And she was performing six and seven times a night, popping up at every show, popping in, working her stuff out, working on things. And I was hearing her monologue go from an idea or a set of ideas to what she may actually say, like the tangible material that she was going to go on TV and rock the world with. And I started taking notes. Now, that may be I may have been overstepping my bounds. It may have been, uh, you know, audacious of me. But I started taking notes because I wanted to see her win in any way possible. So she would finish her sets. She would go sit with her writers. They would give her all her notes. And then she would go back to the room. She would review them. And around midnight, I send my shit. So a few times, or the first one went through. And she was like, yo, these are pretty dope notes. Like, you were paying attention. I'm like, yeah. So I just kept sending them. She was, and it's not, she, she, she was taking everyone's suggestions and reviewing them for herself to see if they fit what she wanted to do or the angle she wanted to have she was you know she was she was doing what she's supposed to do as an upcoming host of an award show some of my stuff made the cut man and uh she hired me on like on the fifth day was like you're gonna be officially part of my writing team here goes your information here's your lanyard here's your tickets to the the show here's your backstage passes we're all gonna stick together come meet all the writers so i walk in as a last minute introduction and now i'm sitting amongst people i mean most of them i knew already but i did not know the four staff writers i think no three staff writers that were from saturday night live that were helping her i didn't know the two staff writers from bet that were helping her i did know chris spencer and johnny mack already and we all were the writing team for leslie and i have to say she killed it she was really excited she was screaming and happy and loud at the beginning but when she settled in probably 20 to 30 seconds after she first got on stage when she settled in man leslie kept that thing in the pocket and made us all proud as african-americans uh i'm not a woman but i'm i know black women were proud because she held it down she brought the diva to it and made everybody feel like the entire award show was in the right hands she did her thing tiffany haddish tiffany haddish is a megastar i think it's it, you know it may not even be arguable in regards to the list of the ladies I said who who was in what part of the uh, atmosphere of stardom. I think Tiffany may have right now with you know two or three shows on television. Uh, Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, girls trip success. Uh, she has she has a lot of fantastic things, and Tiffany is extremely talented. And I've known her for years as well. But the, sh the story I'll share is from her last Netflix special. Not the Day Ready one. Uh, the Black Bar Mitzvah. Bat Mitzvah. 
leading up to well, she got Girls Trip, and leading up to Girls Trip, Tiffany wrote a book. She was on the last OG, and then there was Road Trip, and then there was all the late night associated with it, all the appearances. And for a lot of people, their first exposure to her was watching her go viral on late night TV. For a whole nother set of community, we were like, that's our girl. That's why we fucks with Tiffany Haddish so deep because she's been grinding for 18 to 25 years and started as a as just a little kid doing comedy. So she's everybody's sister. And if somebody's older in comedy, she, she's their little niece. You know what I mean? And, and soon to be, as she continues to grow older and all that, she'll be all of comedy's auntie. But that's just the way... That's the way the game is where everybody is trying to find a way to be related to her because of how dope she is, how sweet she's been, how consistent she is. But Tiffany is truly uh, a gem, a diamond. She's the, she's the black unicorn, the last unicorn, as her book is uh, entitled. Um, and the story I have uh, of Tiffany is she never forgets her relationships and friends that she has, just completely genuine. And so I had been doing on the low some warm-up work. Uh, warm-up is where when you go to a live TV show and you watch, you watch the show being filmed live, warm-up is the person whose job it is to keep the audience warmed up, to keep them laughing, keep them into it, to keep them entertained. And then that energy, the show benefits directly from that energy because then it's like, you know, it's lit. And so I was doing some side work, keeping it lit for um, Hip Hop Squares and for a few other projects. Um, uh, and when it was time for Tiffany to do Black Bar Bat Mitzvah, or Bar Mitzvah, I, I don't know if it's Bat or Bar. I, don't know, I know it's different for gender, but it doesn't matter. When it was time for her to do that, she reached out and contacted me to do the warm-up on that. And so I did it. But what was really dope was I saw the amount of preparation she put in to her special to do as much as she could to make sure that it was special. And she did two shows in one night. And the first show she did maybe an hour and 10 minutes. And the second show she did like two hours in 10 minutes. And then Netflix took the best of all of that and put out what is what we see on television. And it was a fantastic experience. It was wonderful. But what, was, what I thought, what I wanted to say that I thought was the most interesting was when, when you are coming off of that much heat, you're a movie star, you're a TV star, you are a nationally best-selling author, and you're filming a Netflix special, the amount of people around you on your team who are invested in you for better, for worse, or they should have your best interest and their best interest is massive. So at the end of the show, when I just want to say thank you for having me, thank you for letting me do my thing and be a part of this production. I, I appreciate you, Tiffany. It's hard than a motherfucker to get back to see her, even though we friends. Security is like, uh, no, no, she's not seeing any guests right now. I'm like, man, I just did the warm up. She heard me say, man, I just did the warm up. She's like, let him in. Open the door, there's publicists, there's, there, I mean, there's 17 people in the room. Tiffany's just sitting there just trying to drink a, a cold bottle of water after just doing about four hours of material for Netflix right upstairs in the theater. And she's like, 
You did fantastic. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. You had that audience hot and ready for me. And if you need anything, you let me know. And here's the thing. People say stuff like that all the time. But Tiffany says it and means it. Now, I didn't just share that story to say Tiffany Haddish owes me a favor. That's lame. I'm saying it to show you the amount of, let's just say dopeness that she possesses. That under all that pressure, in that great moment, she stood out, exceeded everybody's expectations, and was still humble, was still approachable, was still a friend, and none of that flip-flopped or changed. So, Tiffany Haddish. God, I got more stories with Tiffany. Some crazy shit, too. Tiffany is, she's just as wild as you see her acting on, on TV. That was her in Girls. She's wild as the motherfucker. But... Stays prayed up, stays joyful, stays positive, stays pushing negativity out of her life, stays, she just stays on the right side of things. Sweet, sweet girl. Another one is Takara Williams. Now, instead of sharing a story about Takara Williams, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I was going to push to some of her stand-up, and uh, I'm going to do just that. So I want to show, uh, I want to play for you guys Takara, Takara Williams on NBC's Bring the Funny. Thank you. All right. Um. <laughs> I only got a little bit of time. Um, I want to give a shout out to all like the new moms, the newbies with all the new kids at home. Um, I hate you. Because uh, new parents are too sensitive. They get sensitive every, at everything I say about my kids all the time. They even want to come up to me in public. Excuse me, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, yes. I just wanted to let you know that I'm a mom, and what you said about your kids, I'm offended. And I'm like, so? Then I asked the question, how old is your child? My daughter, she's 38 months. I'm like, miss, how old is that? I don't have enough fingers to count. I said, you don't even know what this means. She goes, excuse me? I said, you don't know what this hand means? What does it mean? This is the hand you have when you're standing eye to eye, toe to toe with your kid in the house that you pay the bills for saying, who you think you're talking to like that? You ever chase him? Who you think you're talking to like that? I said, you're not a real parent. You're not a real parent until you pull into your driveway and eat your food in the car. That is a parent, you hear me? Like, I'm a parent parent. I will pull into my garage, close the garage door, car still running, carbon monoxide all in the air. <laughs> I would rather die than share these nuggets and lemonade with anybody in this house. <laughs> Parents! And it doesn't mean I don't love my kids, I love my kids. Like, I got a five-year-old, a 14-year-old, and my son, he's 18. They teach me stuff all the time. Like, the five-year-old taught me how big I was. Like, I know I'm not big, but I'm not small, you know? Like, I'm not large, but I'm not tiny, you know? I'm just me. But she taught me. I come home from work one day, she got on a tube dress. That's just a piece of cloth that's a square. You pull it on, it stops here, stops here, that's it. Hers say Nike on the side. She walk around the house in a dress like this. I'm having a heart attack. I call my 14-year-old daughter, Casey. I said, get in here. She comes into the room, she laughing. I said, that's not funny. Where'd she get that dress from? She said, I don't know. I said, you didn't take that from one of your little friends' house and you thought you was going to wear it when I wasn't around? She said, Ma, I don't wear stuff like that. That's inappropriate. 
But then I thought a dark thought. I got an 18-year-old son. His name is Chase. I said, ooh, Chase messing around in his house. I call him down the stairs. He come down the stairs. He see my daughter. She walking around in this dress. It's a Nike dress. It say Nike on the side. It got a hole in the back. Her whole butt hanging out. She just walking around like this. He laughing. I said, that's not funny. I said, well, you, I said, you mess with little girls and they leave these little things behind? He said, Ma, I would never talk to a girl who wears something like that. That's inappropriate. I said, well, where does she get this dress from? They both said, we don't know. It say Nike on the side, a hole in the back, her little booty hanging out, and she just keep doing this around the house. So I grabbed her, Chris, Chris is five. I said, get over here. And as soon as I touched it, I was like, oh man, that's my knee brace. <laughs> you know, knee braces got holes in the back. She just walking around the house, my knee brace. Takara Williams, absolutely incredibly talented young lady, a friend of mine. And uh, so I called in a favor. I set up an interview and uh, Joy did it. So without further ado, I want to play that right now. You've been on Comedy Central. You have a million segments on YouTube. Like of all your experiences, how do you manage to say so like down to earth, not humble, but it's just like, I watch you. I know you, You're, you look, you sound familiar. Like we're already friends. Right. Um, I think the biggest part for me is to, uh, I think part of staying humble for me is always uh, never forgetting my process. Um, I know a lot of people always ask me, that, like, why do you, you're so, like, they'll be like, you're the funniest person right now. And I'm like, shut up. No, I'm not. You know, or they're like, you're like famous to me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I got like $82 in my pocket. But I think the biggest part of that for me is always remembering what my process was. Because a lot of times when we um, begin to climb this ladder uh, in this, you know, in the entertainment industry, a lot of times people forget the struggle. You know, they forget how much they cried. They forget how many times they were hungry. They forget uh, how many times they didn't know where they were going to sleep or what they were going to eat or what the kids were going to eat or, you know, what tomorrow was going to look like. And one of the things I always try to remember is, you know, those down moments when I cried and I was sad and I didn't understand and I was confused and just remembering moments like that. And I think most importantly, how I felt in those moments keeps me so humble. Right. It's like this guy was like, on that chart, you're a 10. Right. You know, like I'm like a ten. I'm like I'm like a cool seven. You're definitely like, a nah, twenty. You, You're definitely you a twenty. Shut up. <laughs> but does your family get that too? <laughs> like, is it the same for when you're around your family? Or I know that you um, work with inmates. When they come up, do they they see you like, oh, I saw you on Comedy Central. You're your celebrity now. Like, yeah. they they're okay. Yeah. My, like my sister's always telling me, like I tell people that you're my sister, and they're like, no way, Takara is your sister. Yes. I'm like, uh, yes way, I am your sister. Right. Or like uh, my brothers are just like, you know, when you come to town, you got to meet my friend because he's a big fan and he can't believe that you're my sister. And I'm like, I barely took a shower today. I don't understand <laughs> how people are having this tough a time. But, you know, people, we don't see ourselves the way other people see us, you right. know, because we are our harshest critics. Right. And you talked about your yeah. sisters and being your sisters. So you're a twin, right? And are you a twin yeah. sister? Like it's the two twins? It's like I do have a twin sister. Okay. Yeah. Are you the evil twin or are you the good twin? Like, and how do you know what kind of uh, twin? Which twin? Let, Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> whew, There was a time when we were both evil. Um, wow. Uh, shoot. Um, 
I evil or is she evil? You seem like the good twin, but I'm, you know, things could always I'm gonna go be ahead worse. I'm going to blame it on her. I'm going to go ahead and say it's her. Because uh, she's, you know, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and blame it. Her name is Tamika. Tamika's the evil twin. I'm the good twin. Um, I believe in butterflies and unicorns and let the signs across the rainbow. So. The, the evil twin I mean, yeah. would mastermind that, would definitely craft that answer. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to let yeah. you publicly claim to be the good twin. And since your sister's not here to defend okay. herself, we're going to run with that. Right. So no worries. Yeah, we are. We're going to run to the moon. <laughs> I'm the good twin. Right. And then just staying on family, I noticed that your kids are a lot of your content. Um, being a mm-hmm. mom myself, um, I know you're part of the gang, which is fuck those kids. Um, but mm-hmm. that being said, do you have a favorite and them being your inspiration, what are some of the things that, um, that you want to share with them in regards to your journey in comedy? Um, that nothing will come to you easy that you have to work for it. Um, I think part of me enjoying the ages that they are now, especially my 19 year old and my 15 year old is because they get to see, you know, a lot of like when I shot my specials about, they were there you know, like the behind the scenes. Or I remember the day when I got verified on Instagram, you know, my daughter was like, oh, you got a blue check. Oh my God, my mom got a blue check. You know, so it's just like, but they've also been there with me when I've cried, you know, and they've also been there with me when I was like, I'm not sure how we're going to eat today, but we'll figure it out. So they've been with me at those low moments so that they can witness and understand and appreciate the high moments. Right. So it's my process is just letting them know that you can do anything you want. You can have anything you want in the world, but it is going to require work and sacrifice. Amen. And understanding that, you know, even with my kids now, you know, they, I don't know if they necessarily understand the sacrifice that goes into being successful and not famous, you know, successful. Um, I don't think they understand the sacrifice that goes into it. And the older they get, the more I feel like I see them saying, okay, I get it now. Right. And I also see them having dreams of their own that most other people would be like, that's outlandish. You can't do that. And then when they tell me about it, I'm like, you can do it, but you got to get back to this and remember this could happen and that could happen. And just be mindful of all these things moving forward, because those are the things that I was, I was, I always thought about that allowed me to be prepared for it when it happens. Right. You know those things you just don't think about. It's like I'm gonna drive across the country and it's gonna be great. Right. But you don't think about getting a flat tire. Yeah, so it's one of the things that I talk about, which no. is progress is a process. And so many people get mm-hmm. caught up not even thinking that when I take step one, I have to think about the space in between of getting there. And to me that's how mm-hmm. I gauge success is just figuring out from point A to point B. Do I, did I appreciate those little wins that you had brought up in that moment? So looking at mm-hmm. your, to me, your comedy career, I, I, like I said, you met Kevin Hart. That is a big deal. You know, Nate, to me, these are big household names to me. Yeah. And I look at you as successful in my eyes, but one, I'm not a comedian and a two, I'm not you. So with that being said, looking at your journey, how would you view or do you even consider yourself successful in the realm of comedy? And if not, what do you think that would take? Um, I, 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 do I consider myself successful? You should. So let's start off with you should. (laughs) Um, I still don't. Yeah. Or should I? You asked me, should I consider myself successful? Right. Um, I don't. I don't yet. I don't. I feel like I haven't even touched the brim of what I want to do and stand up. I feel like I haven't even grasped the full concept of what my uh of what I'm what what my purpose is 
in this, you know? So for a lot of people, it's like, you're doing so good. You're doing great. We're so proud of you. You're trying to special. You're on NBC, all these good things. But to me, I'm just like, I have so much more work to do. So that's you your know? motivator, though. So, I hope you know that's your motivator because you yeah. know you're not done. Uh-huh. And if anything, it's one of the things that I was like super proud to be able to interview and just tell you, like, if you don't ever figure out big picture how comedy is supposed to look in your life, you've been able to touch people's lives that you've never even met. Your name is in rooms that you may never even go to and people know you like that alone is just (laughs) one of those little wins that, you know, you're Googleable. People don't even think about that. Uh, you type into Carter uh, Williams. So she pops up. Them. No, I'm so serious. Like, it's not even about the celebrity. <laughs> it's about the celebration. Like, let it celebrate you as a black woman, as a mother, as you work with inmates. You're you're in and out of the jails. You're helping. Big skill. Overall, you are successful. And I wanted you to know that with this interview. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think one of my most humbling moments is when I did a show in Chicago. And, um... Uh, they made it like a, a trip, a girl's trip. And it had to be about six women rented a minivan, got in it, and drove four hours, Woo! four and a half hours to see me perform. Then decided to just get a hotel room and stay the night. Right. Um, and then I wound up just hanging out with them and grabbing drinks for the night. But they drove almost five hours just to come see me. And it's like... See, and this is the thing, because as a mother, you, you think that this, there's nothing as comparable as loving your kids, Right. But that just that recognition, that effort that's made like going, having somebody go out of your way for me. And that's one of the things that I was just so proud to learn about you, just how you go out your way for your children, for the people you work for, for yourself. And that you get to turn that around and do that for somebody else and they get to do it for you. So I hope you see that your hard work, your success is painting that reciprocation of everything that you're putting in someone else is really doing for you like girl i did some homework for you (laughs) i'm 32 years old i literally studied and i thought about it and i was just like this is how one idols are made right so some little girl Mm -hmm. is literally going to look up female comedians women comedians black women comedians (laughs) and your name's gonna (laughs) pop up so you've already made history. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You are a liar. <laughs> no, no way. Look, I, I'm, I don't know if this is part of the interview, but I have to go check that out. I no, you, here's the awesome. thing. Own it. Someone is going to aspire to be you, whether it's your daughter. No. Yes, absolutely. Let Someone wants this journey. I believe it. I truly believe it. Oh. I believe you're pioneering. You're helping to facilitate a space that is already mostly predominantly occupied by men. So I really want right. you to, when you're talking to me and everyone, Everyone sees this interview. I want everyone to know, like, she one, she's a badass, right? So she's from the hood. She's born in Belize. You know, that's, that's my country. Am. Right, yeah. right. And yes! now, hey, Belizean girl, damn, right? So she's oh, she's goodness. one of mine that, I mean, for me, it's like, you're not only a mother, you're so intersectional, right? And that, to me, is like, yeah. if you don't, like, compare your success to everything you are, to everything that you do, I'm... I hope this interview allows it to to definitely open our eyes on how challenging your position is. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. that my stories um, cross with yours is my ex mother in law works for the the some prison on an island basically, and she's one of the only females that work there. And she faces a lot of issues, not only having majority male inmates, actually they only have one female inmate in that prison. Um, So whether it be your personal job with you working 
with mostly men and jumping into the comedy arena with mostly men, how is it working surrounded by masculine energy 24-7? It can be overwhelming at times, but I think that once you've grasped the concept and the idea of who you are, it becomes nothing. Um, because you are going to be the bright light in the room when you walk in and because your energy is automatically going to be different and because you're going to stand out simply because you are who you are and that is a female in a male-dominated business and you have to just learn how to make that work for you and I think I've learned how to make it work for me so I don't really feel intimidated anymore I don't feel left out anymore i just feel like hey i'm here shout out to the boys club right i'm still chilling right (laughs) right right right. that's how i feel right yeah so with that being said i hope you know just strength alone that is another avenue you bring one as a mother two as a woman three just being black so strength to me is always something that i see in all of your videos you get up there First of all, girl, I got stage fright. So I don't know how you get up there and you look cute doing it, okay? Because you, you got how many kids? Uh, three, 19, 15, and four. Okay, so I'm still at one, so I can get kind of cute, but I think after three, I'm tapped. So you literally right. get up, do the job, do the comedy, and you still look great doing it. That being another avenue that you've mastered, what are some things in comedy or whether it's just anything in your personal life that you know you want to master? Because to me, I see it like you're already superwoman. So, well, I'm I'm in the process now. I can't speak too much on it because it's going into production. But I wrote my own series, and um, it's about my life, just being a single mom working in the jail and trying to just figure out how to be who I am at work and still continue to be who I am at home. And um, that was a big thing for me because everybody would always say, you need to write a show about your life. You need to write a show about your life. And I was always like, no. And then I did it. And I was like, nobody wants to see this on TV. And they do. And now it's still unreal to me, the back, uh, just the backing that I have for it of people who are just like, we believe in it. We want to be a part of it. And that was like a huge milestone for me was just writing something and having other people believe in a full series, you know, of, of something that I believed in and wanting to back it, saying we want to put money behind this and and we want to be a part of it. And that that was just something that I've, I've never, you never did something that you didn't even know you wanted to do. This entire podcast. (laughs) And I'm here. I didn't even know I would love that. Right. And then I get so much, I get so much praise and so much blessing and so much recognition. Like Nate is over here cheering Mm -hmm. me on in this corner. And this is my first interview that I'm doing. So it's just like, I don't know that I'm good at these things. I don't know if they're going to matter. But the fact that I have so much support, like I can only imagine how you're feeling being able to tell the world who you are and having that. that. Oh, live that dream, girl. Live it. Live it. Because if the universe is responding to you, I mean, you are in its praise in the center of its hand. I do want to yeah. thank you for all of your time because to me you are yeah. a celebrity and I hope you walk around with that <laughs> same that same mindset. Um, and I do appreciate thank all you. your humbleness and time. Thank you, Mr. Kara. Bye, beautiful. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that just wonderful? 
Hey, man, that's today's episode. I want to make sure that you guys follow this podcast. It is Super Funny Comedy Club Podcast. It's available. You can go on anchor.fm. You can find it there. And from there, you can find out everywhere it's at. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're on, uh, I mean, we're everywhere you get your podcasts. And I want to make sure that you tune in and follow the show. If you're a fan of mine, you can go to at Mr. Nate Jackson on Instagram or natejacksoncomedy.com. Thank you. Peace. Casting Network. Thank you for listening to the Nate Jackson Podcasting Network. Okay, you know what would be amazing? If you left a five-star review on iTunes. Go ahead. Just do it. Thank you for listening to the Nate Jackson Podcasting Network.